this has got nothing to do with Baptist history, but I just I, I heard this on the radio. There are 38,000 troops fighting the war in Afghanistan right now. Uh, on Tuesday during the inauguration, there will be 45,000 troops in Washington, D.C. Uh, take care of the security. <laughs> More troops uh, watching the inauguration than fighting the war. That's kind of an interesting. You don't want to get me started there. Oh, that's it. Well, <laughs> I'm sure, you know, on the radio they were making but, you know, how many of them are in the, the bands and in the honor guards? And, I mean, there's going to be thousands, you know, involved with that. So, it says, I'm, I'm, I always get excited on an election day. I always get excited on, on inauguration day because of the transfer without bloodshed. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible, it's an incredible thing about our country that we can do that without uh, having... I mean, nobody else wants to have transitions of power because it's going to get bloody. It's going to be ugly when it happens. And we're the, we're, you know, us in Canada, and, and that's about it. Britain, even Britain has problems when, when they change parties. And well, it's, it's not saying we're not having problems. <laughs> yeah, I know having, what you're saying. We're not having uh, <laughs> bloody problems, we'll put it that way. But anyway, um, you know, the... The church starts out, right, with, with <clears throat> Jesus going up uh, and go ahead and hit the first slide. Uh, we find in, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, uh, the Great Commission, right? You all know this one. You've heard this one uh, a million times. Jesus is, is ascending into heaven and, and uh, he, he gives the disciples a, the Great Commission and uh, he tells them to go, ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all, all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Interesting, we were talking last week, those of you that were here last week, and most of you were, that... Uh, that there's a reformed theology that's, that likes to apply Old Testament promises to Israel to the New Testament church. Likes to say, it says that, therefore that must be us. America must be Israel, or Christendom must be Israel. And there's a danger to that. And I don't know the answer to this question. <laughs> I throw this, I go from the historian, I throw it to the theologian. Is this command, now go back, is this command of, and, and this promise that I'm going to be with you always to the end of the earth, is this command to the New Testament church or is this command <laughs> to the apostles? And what's, what's an apostle? Let's start with that. What's an apostle? Okay. Technically, the, an apostle is one who saw firsthand the work of Jesus, and was commissioned by him. So the, the twelve apostles, Paul said he was an apostle born out of due season, um, meaning his authority, he, although he wasn't one of the twelve, that he was commissioned by God. Um, some would say when he referred to the aspect of being caught up to the third heaven, 
that he saw the work of God there. So the apostles ended when those men died. When, when these pretty much, pretty much 12. Right. Because you get Judas out of there and, and Matthias wasn't put in until after right. Jesus was gone. But one of the qualifications for him was being um, there with him. Right. Yeah. And so maybe so there based, were 30. <laughs> so based on that, and in Acts chapter 1, right after this, that they replaced Judas, and they had authority to do that. Based on that, this command was given to the apostles per se, but really given to them as a unit, as the word church in Greek means a called out assembly. Jesus Christ specifically called out the apostles. And, um, and he commissioned them, in commissioning them, he was commissioning that assembly. So really this command, and you can go on and see in Acts this was their standing orders. And, and they carried that out and passed that on. And, and we'll see in church history it's wrought out. So it's given specifically to the apostles, but it's also given to them as a body. So there is application that, yeah, this still is the commission for us. And we know he's with us always um, because he dwells within us now at that time. The Holy Spirit hadn't been given permanently, but... Okay. Well, the, the thing is that there was this apostolic church. There was a church that was being led by the disciples and by Paul, by, by followers of Christ who knew him face to face. Didn't know him in a spiritual sense the way we do, but knew him the way I know Dusty. You know, knew him, hung out with him, learned from him, did things with him, had dinner with him. Uh, not not a abstract thing, a, a physical right there. And those men who were given their commissions by Christ himself had a level of authority that is no longer here. I mean, the... the which they could not transfer to others either. You know, if Peter is dying, he couldn't call someone and say, right. I'm giving you this authority. Uh, absolutely. <clears throat> but it's kind of like, you guys all remember when uh, Lloyd Benson was debating Dan Quayle. And Dan Quayle said something about John Kennedy. And, and, and Benson said, you know, I knew John Kennedy. All right. These guys, when, you know, they, when they were saying, well, what would Jesus do? They look at him and say, "Well, I knew Jesus. You know, this is what he did. This is what he did, <laughs> yo. Know, and this is this part might not even be written down, but this is what he told me, you know. And and uh, and and that when they died, when those men died, the apostolic authority died with them. You know, the the idea of these guys can." You know, if there was if there was a question, go ask Peter. I mean, when when Paul got when when Jesus called Paul 
And the other Christians were scared to death of this guy with good reason. What did they do? They took him to Peter and let, and, and let the disciples judge whether this guy should, should be accepted or not. We don't have that anymore. We, we don't have that anymore. And, and this is an important Baptist distinctive, it, that we do not do the... Um, can't think of the word. The, the Pope has, is infallible, according to, to Catholic uh, beliefs, that, that he is on the same level as an apostle, that when he says something, it has, it has the authority of Scripture. Um, when, when, the, when the apostles in the first century said something, it carried the authority of Scripture. They didn't just, you know, mouth off, you know, that... <laughs> This this thing or that? Well, this is my opinion. When, when they said it, it was it was gospel. And when they died, that died. And I guess I'm really trying to I'm really trying to stress that because the Mormons today have their Council of Apostles. I mean, that's what they call it—a uh, a Council of Apostles, who they believe have face-to-face conversations with Jesus on a regular basis. No. Um, they have a they have a prophet. They have a specific prophet. We um, several groups, Christian groups, have prophets, and a lot of our dear charismatic friends believe very strongly in the idea of a word from the Lord that carries the same <coughs> same uh, authority as as the scriptures do. We as Baptists don't believe that. We believe that today. The age of the apostles is over. We live in the age where our authority comes from the Bible only. So, and I'd encourage you to keep your, um, that list of Baptist distinctives in your Bible and bring them to class. Needless to say, the first one, it relates to that. Can you think, just looking at that list of Baptist distinctives, can you think of any others that this, because the apostles, their authority died with them, um, any others that would dovetail with that? All of them, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first one we've already alluded to, the Bible is the only rule for authority and practice. The autonomy of the local church, it, it's not immediately affected by it, but it is. that Here's the local church. What authority do you have? What apostle started you? Well, no apostle started us. Well, what authority do you have for existing? Truth. That's why we exist. The priesthood of the believer was one primarily, the third one there, that I was really thinking of and and relates to this but this is a major a major thing that we often overlook and it, you know we just we just read Christ died rose again ascended to heaven the apostles carried on the book of acts they died well then what i mean there was authority invested in the apostles well then what and this brings us to some key stages in this first century. And it really leads to the, the one of the T's is two offices. 
you know, the, the pastor and the deacons, you know, the Pope's not in there. And I'm not just picking on the Catholics, but, the, but there's not, the Presbytery's not in there. The, the bishops, uh, when it says bishop, you've got a Bible that, that translates as bishop. That just means pastor is what that means. It doesn't, it doesn't mean a level of, a, of authority. So it, it's huge. It's much more huge than I think I ever thought about. I mean, I, I honestly haven't really dwelled on this thought until this week, and then went, wow, that's really big. That is, that is, a, that is a big deal. So um, it's interesting. When I grew up, grew up when I was uh, living 10 years in Emmitsburg, Iowa, in the town of West Bend, just 20 miles away, not even that. Uh, the grotto, <laughs> if you've ever been to the West Bend grotto, it's beautiful. But, but they also have a really big church there called the Apostolic Church. And I couldn't find anything on them. Um, it, whether they are just called that because it's modeled after the first century, I don't know. Do you I, know? Think, I think a lot of people that identify their church as an apostolic church Isn't would be, like as, you, as you alluded to earlier, they believe in continuing revelations from God. They believe they would have the gifts of the apostles, and so they would call themselves an apostolic church. Um, It's interesting, in Armitage, the history here, along this line he said, when these orphaned flocks, referring to these churches, when the apostles died, when these orphaned flocks were left alone in all their humanness, Their only directory was the book by which the apostles had transmitted their witness and revelation under the infallible inspiration of the Scripture, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So you think about it. Here they were, and they they really looked to these apostles. And and you know, the, the human loss. Man, Peter died, and Paul died, and... And in their humanness, I like how he said that, left alone in all their humanness. It would have been easy for someone to stand up and say, I'm the next leader. But all they had was the Word of God, and that was designed by God. And it, to me, it just really elevates this whole thing about the first distinctive. The Bible is our only rule for authority and practice. Well, the, these guys died. And then, who came along? Who came along and, and where did they take us? Last week, uh, he, he uh, quoted Lou Holtz. Uh, of <laughs> nothing, is, nothing is as good as what it seems and nothing is as bad as it seems. And, and that is really true. On the, problem, the biggest problem with Christians is that they're people. And they, they mess... They, they mess things up all the time. There's, as I, I love to listen. We have a whole series of tapes at home that we listen to for family devotions that Moody Radio made in the 50s uh, called The Stories of Great Christians. And when you, read, when you listen to them, you know, this, they, they were like perfect. You know, and then you do more reading on them, and no, they weren't perfect. <laughs> they, they had a, and a lot, of the, a lot of the early church leaders were fantastic people, but also had some serious flaws, and some of them came up with some ideas that were really, have really taken a lot of people down the wrong track. Uh, some of the good ones, go ahead, uh, Josh, hit the, Josh, 
next one up there. First one I got up here is uh, Clement of uh, Clement of Rome. Uh, by the way, that's that's a transliteration. Clement's real name would be Clemens, which explains why Roger was such a good pitcher. It had nothing to do with uh, uh, a direct descendant of uh, Clement of Rome. He was a buddy of, uh, of Peter and uh, of Paul uh, and of John, and and uh, he uh, he lived in Rome and and got a map of the Roman Empire. And Rome, of course, was the center of the Roman Empire. But but he he stepped up and and took kind of it's like the what the six degrees of separation, you know. The, Kevin Bacon or whatever. I mean, he, he didn't know Jesus, but he knew Paul and he knew Peter and he knew John. And that, that, that went a long way. He, was, uh, he wrote a letter to the, to the Corinthians that obviously is not Corinthian, but where he warned them about, about things that he saw coming along in, in their lives, specifically the, the temple prostitution, uh, the temple of Aphrodite, and and. And he was a good guy. He, he was a good guy. He really took us a long way. Now, later on, I'm going to point out some of the beliefs that he had that weren't, weren't good, actually one. But uh, this is Clement. He, was, he really was good. The Catholics refer to him as St. Clement, and I think they even might call him like the second pope. Um, but that was before it was the pope. Before there was a Catholic church. Right. This, the, he lived about... They're about the same time as, well, he lived the same time as Peter, and he's just a little younger. He's followed right after that. So he probably was, I don't have the date. Um, go to the next slide once. Nope. But, no, go back. <laughs> you're, you're so good at that. The, it, it was in the was first, in the first century first into the century. second century. Yep. Okay, another one that you've heard of a lot is Polycarp. Uh, Polycarp... Uh, was uh, from the second century in Smyrna. Uh, he died a martyr. Uh, he was burned at the stake, but the burning didn't kill him, so they had to stab him um, to death. He, uh, he and John were, were close friends. Uh, they, they'd known each other quite a bit. He was one of the biggest advocates of autonomy of the local church. He was... He was very, very strong on that. He was strong on a lot of things, but that was that was his pet peeve, I guess you would say. And the thing that thing that makes him a Baptist is that he was that was his big, big thing. And he was Polycarp is a name that how many of you have heard the name Polycarp before? Okay, good. It's he's he's one of the heroes of the faith that really didn't mess up all that much. Uh, maybe in his personal life or something, but I didn't find too much. Wasn't he like 90 years old when he was burned at the stake? Well, uh, yeah, close to that. I mean, it was 69 to say 70 to 85. 85. Because I, he's the one, 86. isn't he, that said, 80 and six years I have served my Christ and I am not going to deny him now. And it, it's amazing... Mm-hmm. As you said, he was burned at the stake, but he didn't die. The testimonies God raised up is incredible. You know, which this should be a model for us of we don't want to quit serving and we don't want to quit being a 
a, uh, a witness even when we get older. You know, a lot of people, well, somebody else's turn to take this and, and run with it. Uh, and others who don't, who, st- who stick with it. And, our, and Polycarp was one of those that, that stuck with it. Go to the next slide. Just to show you where Smyrna is. Smyrna, you see, uh, Ephesus is, it, it's, it's Turkey. And right, can't reach it, is, uh, there's Ephesus here. And Smyrna was about right here. And that, that's where he was. Right there. There you go. You had too much coffee. Who's ever running that thing? <laughs> Pretty shaky there. <laughs> Thanks for not hitting my eye with that one. <laughs> okay, next one. Um, another guy who was, who, who was a friend of Polycarp, a friend of John, a pupil of John, was, do you know how to pronounce this correctly? No. Papaius. Um, Sounds good who, to me. Uh, who I did think I, I did thought he, I thought that he did uh, pitch for the Cubs in the 60s, but uh, no, it was Mil Pappas. That was, okay. Uh, <laughs> Mil Pappas pitched a no hitter on uh, Labor Day. Back to Any, church. Uh, <laughs> anyway, baseball um, history will meet tonight. <laughs> anyway, he was he was really the first one. To, to, I don't know if he was the first one, but he was the one who brought out and taught premillennialism. Well, I thought that just started here in the 1800s. It, it, in, you know, during, we'll get to that, but, but there was a time from a long time uh, in the 1700s, uh, even that, that, no, we were, that, yeah, you're right. That that there was amillennialism and postmillennialism, and it. You know, it's amazing to me that um, a clear record that here in the first century was a man who held premillennial, and if without getting into all of that, uh, it means that the Lord's going to come and establish a thousand-year reign on the face of the earth. That he held that. In the first century, you read certain books today and they'll say, this never existed until the 1800s. And then some crackpot came up with this idea. Um, That's not true. Um, And again, it comes back to the Bible. And it was interesting to me to to read of of his position on that in first century. Do you want to read the uh, Acts 20-29? Okay. Right Paul, Paul was writing to the um, leaders at the church at Ephesus, and he said, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of their own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to teach and warn every one of you with tears. Okay, so, meaning that there were going to be deceivers. There were going to be people who would come into the church with heretical ideas and, and even ideas that maybe weren't 
so so gigantic that they'd be called a heresy, but things that would draw people down the wrong lines. And one of them, right off the bat, Josh, was a guy by the name of uh, uh, Marcion. Oh, okay. And he was he was a Gnostic. Uh, he was a Christian leader, but a Gnostic Christian leader. Uh, um, Gnostics were people who uh, took Hellenistic ideas, and you hear the term Hellenistic. Hellenic means Greek. That the the Hellens. It doesn't mean from hell. No, it doesn't. It it means it means Greek, and Hellenistic is the the combination of Greek and Persian ideas, or Greek and Mede ideas, basically things that were brought down from uh, Alexander the Great, when Alexander the Great conquered uh, farther east and conquered the Medes and the Persians and all those things. They, he, he brought back a lot of those, those great ideas. By great, I mean those gigantic ideas and, and married them to Greek civilization. And then Gnostics took these ideas and put them together with Christianity. And, and a much, by the way, today, much of Christendom around the world is where missionaries have taken, and I'm predominantly Roman Catholic because they did the most mission work early on, and married them to local beliefs. And if, if the locals believed in this, well, they just transferred those powers to a saint and said, you know, this was this. Was this. And so you have a lot of that in Latin America, a huge amount of that in Latin America, some of it in Africa, uh, but where, where the Spanish and the Portuguese uh, settled in, in uh, Latin America, you have, you have a huge amount of these. But anyway, the, his biggest thing was this idea of being a, of, of a dualist. And this is an idea that is still hanging around and hanging around and hanging around. I get this with, with many of, of my friends. He says, Mar, Mar, uh, Marcion said that, that you have a God of the Old Testament, this God of wrath and vengeance, and, and when you do something wrong, you, the, the earth opens up and swallows you up and then covers you back up. And then you've got the God of the New Testament, the God of love, and that these are two separate gods. It's the yin and the yang. It's two different things. And, and that Jesus had absolutely nothing to do with the God of the Old Testament. And I don't know how many people will say to me, you know, I'll, I'll quote some. Well, that's the Old Testament. You know, that, that doesn't apply. You know, that's, that's not even the same God. I mean, I have literally had people say, that's not even the same God. It is the same God. You know, that Jesus is the is the hinge that pulls this all together. Well, I think sometimes even in Christianity we, we struggle with this aspect of understanding um, how all that fits together. And yet, like you said, Jesus Christ is a red thread that runs from Genesis through every book in the Bible. He is, it's not like he's not in the Old Testament. He is God, and that brings us back to the Trinity, too, which is uh, such a key issue and has been throughout all of history. But 
It's interesting to me, right, right out of the gun, as Paul warned in Acts, Satan is just bringing in all kinds of deceptions. Separate gods, denying Christ. It goes on, you know, soon there were people denying the deity of Christ. Who is my next slide? But, uh, that's a, the map you can't see there. Uh, that's a map, of, again, of Turkey and uh, the arrow right up on the Red Sea where, where, uh, <laughs> where, where, where he was. And, okay, even a little better map there. Okay. But, you know, Turkey was huge in, this, in, in ch- early church history. Today, Turkey is 99 point something. It's like 99.8% Muslim. Um, Turkey was the hotbed of Christianity. It was where Christianity really took took root. Antioch was in Turkey. I mean, Ephesus, all the all seven churches of the Revela- uh, in Revelation are in Turkey. Um, Turkey was very very important, it's, and today it's 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 Muslim. Um, if you you know if you have an extra day on your prayer calendar, yeah, we ought to put Turkey in like once a month as. We should be praying for Turkey. You know, you mentioned, you look throughout church history, the gospel was so strong there, and now look, the gospel was strong in Europe, and now look, the gospel was strong in the U.S., and where are we headed? You know, um, you look at Europe and see where they've gone and where we're going. The next one that you just mentioned, uh, Arius was a Berber, which means he was a North African, probably from over around Morocco. And uh, he, he became a, quite a Christian leader in Alexandria, Egypt, which was a real cultural center of, of uh, Egypt. There's a picture of the map way up on the Mediterranean. Alexandria was, was a city that was built by Alexander the Great. There's all kinds of Alexandrias, but the one in Egypt... Had, had, didn't it have the largest library in the world at one time? Um, it, was, it was huge. Anyway, go back uh, to, to Arius. Uh, and he, he was in the early 4th century, the, the 300s. And, uh, and people who followed him, uh, it's Arianism. And it was heretical, big time. Uh, the most controversial of, of these teachings was that, the, that Jesus and God were not the same thing. Jesus was not God. And as you said, denied the deity of Christ. That, that Jesus was a created being, that he was... Was he more than man? Absolutely. But he wasn't on the level with God the Father. There was God the Father, and then God created Jesus. And, of course, the Mormons believe this, you know, that Jesus was, Jesus and his brother Lucifer, right, were created beings uh, of, that God created them. And kind of, again, back to that idea of the yin and the yang that we get from Eastern philosophy. Okay, next one. Um, back to uh, uh, Clement, of, uh, Clement of Alexandria. Now, this is a different Clement. This is not the same Clement of Rome, this is Clement of, of uh, Alexandria, who would have been around 150, he would have been born. And he, he went to Alexandria, and he, 
he settled there, and he was really impressed by the, by the teachings of the Christians there and became a Christian. And in fact, became the headmaster, became the teacher, the main teacher, the superintendent, whatever, of the Christian, I can't say the second word there, it means catechism, school in Alexandria. He, he was, he was Rich, uh, Robert Muller. I mean, he was Albert Muller. He was, he was the head of, of, you know, the Moody Bible Institute. He was, he was in charge. I mean, he was the guy. He was Bob Jones and, uh, and senior. Uh, <laughs> senior. <laughs> I mean, he, he was uh, the guy in charge of this. And unfortunately, Alexandria, not unfortunately, Alexandria, as I said before, was, was the center of <clears throat> Hellenistic thought. And it permeated the church. It became an important part of the church. And he, he married these ideas uh, together. Did, let's see. Go, go to one more. No, go back. My bad. Okay, go back one more. Did I not write these down? Go back one more. Nope, I don't. I'll tell you what he did. Uh, oh, no. I'm just messed up, which isn't surprising. Okay, anyway. But, but he, by, by bringing these things together and saying these things, th- this, set, this set the tone for future um, Christian leaders in Alexandria. And it's, it ended up taking things down roads that it didn't need to go. And this is something that to this day we need to guard against. And I, I talked about it last week. We all love the United States. We love America. But we've got to be careful not to marry it to the church and say it's the same thing. We've got to be careful not to marry um, political ideals with Christianity. I mean, you take a look at, at many conservative Baptist churches, love the word conservative and take it right over to their political leanings and put the two together. While on the flip side of it, the uh, uh, black Baptists are definitely married to the liberal side of, of politics. Um, and we can't do that. We've we got to keep that. And it's hard not to. It is hard because you get enthused about your faith and you get enthused about your, 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 faith, your faith and your politics, both. And you say, you know, these go together. You know? You've got to be careful not to marry the Hawkeyes to Christianity. It's a, that's heresy. That's, that's bad heresy. Okay. Um, Answer not a fool according to his father, right? <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I, looked up, I looked up Clement of Alexandria, on, and one of my found was on the uh, Christian Universalist Church. And, man, he is like their gigantic hero. And I, I love that. I don't love. I thought it was funny and ironic with the, the uh, book series um, Left Behind, Univers- Universalists believe, and, and Clement was one of these, that Christ died for the sins of the world, so nobody's going to hell. And it doesn't matter what you believe, nobody's going to hell. Really puts a crimp in the whole even, evangelical thing, because why share it with anybody if it doesn't matter? Um, but, uh, but their little motto was, where no one is left behind. Uh, <laughs> 
Not, not only not just no child left behind, but no, no one. <laughs> okay, let's go on. The next one, and this one, this one just kills me because Origin is one of those names that we all know, and we all, you know, Origin must have been a great Christian leader, and he he was he took over the school in Alexandria, and he rewrote the Bible. I mean, he revised it just like uh, is it called the Jesus Seminar today? That every every couple of years they get together and. If, no, Jesus didn't really say that, and they take it out, and pretty soon, you know, it's down, Bible's down to a paragraph, uh, and, uh, and I think it's down to yeah, judge not, and Jesus wept, and uh, and and anyway, but he, and when he did this, he denied he denied Adam and Eve. Said no, you know, that's a parable. That's that Adam and Eve. That's it's a good story. It's it makes things easy to understand. It's put in terms that anyone can understand. He denies. The inspiration of Revelation. Revelation wasn't really... He was a nightmare. That's what it was. And uh, he denied the existence of hell. Hell doesn't doesn't exist. And you... I don't know if you ever talked with your non... uh, I don't want to say non-Baptist friends. Amazing how many don't believe in hell. My my grandmother, when I was little, my grandmother told me hell doesn't exist. Hell's here on earth. This is this is hell. And I love my grandma. I'm not you know. Even yet today, you mentioned denied the inspiration of Revelation. Most people really struggle that it's in the Bible. You know, and oh, you can't don't, understand don't, it, and don't, don't go read there, it. Don't, and don't go there, don't go yeah. to Revelation. Yeah, that's just too weird stuff. You got horsemen, and who you know, and they got stuff written on their thighs, and it's weird, you know. And it is weird. I mean, it is hard to understand, but it doesn't mean it's not not inspired. And then, and then he was the guy who real. I don't know if he came up with the idea of purgatory, but was the one who ran with purgatory and made purgatory a popular idea. Which, it is a popular idea. Your friends can go to hell, your family can go to hell, but you say enough prayers and you put enough money in and you... Unsaved people can get to heaven. And they can get, they can... During the Middle Ages, what was his name? Uh, Tetzel. Had, had a little jingle, you know, whenever, whenever a coin, um, the, the, the offering box rings, a, a soul from purgatory does spring. Um, you know, it's just... And it's a comforting thought. I mean, doesn't it, isn't it terrible when you think of your friends and relatives who you know died without Christ? Isn't that an awful thought? Well, what a nice thought that maybe we can, you know, not only going to be there for a couple hundred years and then maybe, you know. What a nice thought to human beings that there isn't a God of justice and judgment in the book of Revelation that's coming. What a nice thought to us as human beings that there isn't a hell. What a nice thought... That just in case there is, I mean, he denied the existence of hell, but he developed purgatory. That just in case there is, we can pray him out or work him out or pay him out. And, you know, all this, all this is kind of mind-boggling to me. Here we have Jesus Christ, truth embodied. The apostles that, that saw him, first-hand witnesses. The scriptures that inspired of God... And immediately, mankind is off in air, which started as a little bit in some areas, 
Clement wasn't way off, but his heir, mixing these worldly philosophies, ended up way off. And, and in less than a hundred years, we're completely gone. And you know, the, the thing that speaks to me is, we must be students of Scripture. I mean, that's all we have, that's all we need, and every one of us are responsible you know, there needed to be people saying to Origen, wait a minute, where do you back this in the Scripture? And the same, is, the same is true today, that we need to be students of Scripture, not we as church leaders, but we as Christians need to be students of Scripture because the same battles are going on. It's a battle for truth, and uh, we'll go on and see how air continued to, to creep in, but it's, it's the same airs that we face today. But to me, the big thing of all this is from, as you mentioned earlier, the authority of the apostles to now the authority of Scripture. And really, this is a more, he wrote in Hebrews, we have a more sure word. Look at, we can go back. Is that what they said? Let's see. Yeah, chapter and verse. Wow, that is what they said. It's not like, what did you hear him say? Well, I heard him say this. We have a more sure word. So, um, devour it. Know it. Amen. Close us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together. We thank you that we have your word in Scripture. We thank you that, that there was an uh, apostolic church and that you, that you empowered those men and we thank you for the words that they wrote and continued to us today. But, most, but again, we thank you for the word that we can look back and, and govern our lives, govern our families, govern our, our churches in the way that you would have, it, have us do it through, through your Holy Scriptures. Thank you for sending Christ. Thank you for, for being so merciful to us. Thanks for everybody who's come out this morning. I pray that the service to follow would be would would glorify you in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.